0: for you to go to Acts chapter 2 and our friend Andrew is going to come on up here. He is going to read our teaching passage to us here this morning. Acts chapter 2. Want y'all stand for the reading of the word right now. Stand with us.
1: Acts 2:36 through 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. Why not you join me in prayer right now? Lord, we just want to commit this time to you and commit ourselves to you. And pray, Lord, that you would stir in us just a deep desire to walk in obedience to this calling you have for us, Lord. And we would be a people, we would be a church that see take place what we read about in the early church. Lord, we just want to see people saved, set free, healed, and delivered. We want to see people added to our number daily. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who are devoted to you, committed to you and willing to put you first, your kingdom first, in everything that we do in our life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And why don't you go ahead and have a seat. This morning, I want to talk about the subject of devoted. You saw that word in verse 42 there. Devoted. What are you devoted to? The truth is, what you're devoted to grows. Right? you're devoted to, it grows. And we see that the early church was devoted to some very specific things, which we're going to talk about here in just a few moments when we get back to that chapter 2 passage. What I want to do is I want to backtrack to chapter 1 and set up what's going on here in Acts chapter 2, just so we can kind of frame and understand why they're at and what has happened even before those moments in Acts chapter 2. So Turn to Acts chapter 1 with me, and let's look at a few verses here, starting with verse 4. It says, On one, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Interesting question. If I can just pause right there. It's an interesting question that they're asking. And why would they ask Jesus that question? Truth is, it's because that's what they heard Jesus talk a lot about. Remember last week, if you are here last week, if you heard the message last week, Jesus' number one topic in all of his preaching and teaching was the kingdom. And so when they, when they hear Jesus say, hey, go and wait, the gift's going to come, this thing that I've been talking about, this promise, you're going to be baptized with fire. Their first question is, oh, okay, so is that when the kingdom happens? Now the kingdom's going to take place then, right, Jesus? They're really concerned about the kingdom because they've heard Jesus talk a lot about it. They still don't completely understand what he means by kingdom yet. But this is what Jesus responds to them. Verse 7, he says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He's saying, hey, don't focus on that. You won't ever really know the exact time. You know, when you study Jesus' teachings, he does say there will be signs. We will see signs when it is coming near, but we will never know the exact date. He says, don't get caught up in all that. Don't worry about that. He says, here's what I want you to focus on. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So, what do they do from here? They go, and they do exactly what Jesus asked them to do. They go into Jerusalem, and they wait. They wait. There's a bunch of people by this time. There's about 120 people that are waiting. And if you keep reading through Acts chapter 1, you'll see that they were continually or constantly in prayer. They prayed, they talked, they had a meeting, voted in a new 12th disciple. They they prayed constantly and so on the 10th day the spirit fell. They were baptized with fire. It's the day of Pentecost and this was the day the church was born. And what I love about this is that the church was born out of a 10-day prayer meeting. So what do they do next? They got 3,000 people that are now believing. Now, if we want to add the numbers up, 3,120 people to be exact that are now in the church. Can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people, by the way? That would be a pretty cool baptism service to be a part of, right? That would take take a little while, too. Logistically, how on earth would we do that? A problem that we would gladly receive, right? But 3,120 people in the church... Now what? Jesus is in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father right now. And he Scripture tells us he is interceding for us. He's interceding and praying for you right now because he loves you, cares about you, he wants to be in relationship with you, and he wants to help you and be with you. So he's praying for you, but he's up in heaven. And so the first century church here now is, for the first time, they're trying to figure out, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus now? He's gone. It's on us. All these people are following Jesus now now what what i love about the book of acts it's it's them figuring out what's next it's just the whole journey of the next the first days the first months of the church the first decades of the church, all through the book of Acts. I love it. They're just figuring out what does it mean to be the people of God, these followers of Jesus? What does it mean to be the church? And can we just be honest? We're still on that journey, that process, right? What does it mean for us to be the church? But we wanna continue to lean in scripture and see what we can learn from this and what we can emulate from them because there's amazing things we can learn from the first days of the church that we want to model ourselves. These were people that were devoted and dedicated. Dedicated. But they were figuring out, especially in this moment here, all these people are saved. Now what? When someone commits their life to Jesus, what do you encourage them to do next? What's what's the message you would give them? Okay, now here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Make sure that you go to church as much as you can when you're able to. And then, man, just proud of you. Good job. Let me know if you need anything. God bless you. What would you say to them? And I think we have this tendency to kind of maybe celebrate and then kind of water down what's next. But it would be too much for us to be honest and say, hey, your life belongs to Jesus now. He paid his life for your life. Devote yourself fully and completely to him. And whatever he asks you to do, do it. Walk in obedience to Jesus. He's your king. He's your Lord. That's the message of Jesus, friends. There's a guy by the name of Douglas Hyde who was the editor of The Daily Worker back in the 1940s. The Daily Worker was the British Communist Party uh, uh, newspaper. And so here's one of the leaders of the Communist Party movement in the United Kingdom. He believed communism could literally save the world, and then he found Jesus. And so when he met Jesus, he's like, Jesus is the Savior, and he actually walked away from the Communist Party, and he entered into the church, got involved in the church. And so this is post-World War II church in in the UK, and what he saw in the church really caused him to be a little disillusioned. He saw there's a bunch of people that felt like they were overpowered and overwhelmed by this secular society that was taking over. They didn't... They didn't have hardly any influence. There wasn't anything happening. The leaders were not calling the people to commitment. Yet he had just walked out of this communist party that said everyone who wants to be part of this party has to radically commit your life to this. And he's like, church, you have the truth, and you're not even committed to it. I just came out of this communist. They, they believe what they're doing matters so much so that they are fully devoted To their cause, we have Jesus. And he was really disillusioned by this. And in his words, this is what he says. He says, since so little is asked of Christians by their leaders, and so much is asked of communists by theirs, Christians have small cause for complaint if they seem to make little impact upon the larger community of which they are a part. And he thought the church could actually learn some things from the Communist Party. Some things that he had learned on how do we actually train people. How do we disciple people? One of their main techniques was these study groups. They were small groups of people. And they would get together to share information, not just to learn knowledge, but to put it into practice immediately. So they came ready to learn how to be changed so they could go out and see other people change with what they, were, what they were learning. They wanted to bring renewal and change to people and ultimately society. So their goal was to build dedicated leaders who would participate in the mission of the party. That was the goal. And so here was some of their methods that they had. These were methods of, the, of training from the Communist Party back then. Number one, they, would, they, they looked for those willing to be trained. People who were willing to go in this process of, of, of being trained and learning this, they didn't beg people. They actually even prepared for people to be unreliable and uncommitted and just walk away. And they just knew that's going to be part of it. Number two, they looked for those who were willing to be changed. Willing is a typo there. Willing to be changed. So these study sessions, when they got together was not just about information, it was really about transformation. They wanted life change to happen because of this, and ultimately they wanted, again, like I said, to change society for this higher purpose, this higher calling that they were committed to. Number three, up front, they would do this. Up front, they asked for commitment, sacrifice, and a willingness to embrace unpopularity. From the very beginning, they were looking for a committed core who understood the cost from the get-go. Number four, Students didn't come to be spoon-fed, but to become teachers themselves. So they understood the best way for us to learn is to actually teach other people what we're learning. So what they did is they immediately turned passive students into active teachers. Immediately. And then lastly, one of the methods they would use is students would be expected each week to put into practice what they were learning. These study groups were not around about throwing out opinions about what they were learning. Well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means this. It was all about how can we obey these teachings. Each group began with this question. How did we put into practice what we learned last week? And then that group time would end with this question. How are we going to put into practice this week what we just learned? Accountability was a big part of their culture. So Douglas Hyde brought that into the church because he's like, Man, I've seen people trained and developed within this. The church could learn from this. I think we could learn a little something from the Communist Party of the United Kingdom way back in the 1940s, and here's the reason why. It's actually biblical. When you look at what they did, it it, kind of lines up with what Jesus told us to do. It's very, very biblical, and when you see what took place in the early church in those first days and months and years, you see some very similar things taking place. So let's go back to Acts 2 and look at just one verse. Look at verse 42. It's a very, very important and key verse in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. It's why we have 242 on the wall over here, by the way. It's from this verse right here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The key word there is Devoted. They were devoted. Remember, what we're devoted to grows. And so, what were they devoted to? They were devoted to these four things. Number one, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Which kind of lends us to this question, right? What did the apostles teach? What did they teach? As a pastor, as someone who teaches, I think it's a good question for me to ask what did they teach? Because it's not all about, oh, so when I teach, people need to listen. It's really, i got to wrestle with, man, they were really devoted to this teaching, and I wonder what the apostles really dove into in their teachings. What was it? What's the number one thing they heard about from Jesus? The kingdom. Their whole message would have centered around, hey, Jesus, talk about the kingdom. Let's, we're going to talk about the kingdom. And a lot of scholars believe they would have really centered around the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever delivered. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 records the Sermon on the Mount. In it, Jesus talks a lot about kingdom and what it means to be a kingdom follower of his, what it means to be to put kingdom first. In fact, that's where we get the, the words, seek first his kingdom. Matthew 6, right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This would have been at the core of what the apostles would have been teaching this first century church. This is about the kingdom, guys. We're called to bring the kingdom. Jesus brought the kingdom. Now the kingdom lives inside of us. Now we're going to bring the kingdom. It's all about kingdom. This is why we, pre- we preach a kingdom gospel here at Rivers Church. Because we know this. The gospel that we preach and teach here determines the disciples that we make. And if our gospel says, pray this prayer, and now you're going to heaven, congratulations, great job. Oh, I was so proud of you. Let us know if you need anything. That's not the full gospel. And so let's look at this. What is the kingdom gospel? If someone were to ask you, hey, what's the gospel? I've heard it in church. I've heard about this before. But could you explain the gospel to me? What would you say? If I were to walk to you right now and hand you this mic. (laughs) Tell us what the gospel is. You have one minute. (laughs) What would you say? You're like, oh, shoot. I don't know, man. That's... You know, it centers on Jesus, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. Okay, that's good. That is the center of the gospel. But I want to help you understand the gospel very simply, very simply. Five words, God, man, Jesus, me, kingdom. Now, we like simple, don't we? Most of us do. We like simple. Some of you love to go deep into theology and understand. I mean, the the gospel is deep and powerful. You study it for the rest of your life, you'll keep learning and understand what the gospel is. It's amazing. But simply put, to help you remember, and if anybody ever asks you, which by the way, they should, what's the gospel, you can say, oh, let me tell you. Starts off with this. We'll start with this. God, man, Jesus, me, kingdom. So what's that mean? God starts with creation. The gospel starts with creation. God made man in his image to be in relationship with him. That was the original intent. Life was perfect in the beginning of creation, but Man, unfortunately, messed it up. So this is the rebellion. Starting with Adam, all of us have sinned. Our sin has separated us from this relationship with God and sentenced us to eternal death. It's rebellion. But Jesus came in and he brought redemption. So Jesus, in the greatest act of love ever in human history, gave his life on the cross. He died for your sin, took your place of death, and... Then, proving that he was God, rose from the dead. That's how I know Jesus was who he said he was. Okay, so Jesus brought the redemption. And then you and I come in, and we have to decide, what do I believe about this story, this message? Is this really true? And when you sense the Spirit of God moving and working in your life, you realize God's real. This is, this is truth. This matters. And I do the confession. That's what we call this, the Confession. Is a moment where you and I recognize I need to ask for forgiveness. And so when I ask for forgiveness, God restores my relationship with Him, makes me a new person. Uh, this comes through you and I accepting what Jesus did on the cross. We repent of our sins and we commit to following Him. Yeah. But it doesn't stop there. This is not the end. Yeah. Now you and I have stepped into. The kingdom we are citizens of a, of a higher kingdom, a new kingdom. See, that prayer of confession is just the beginning. Yeah. And it's about ready to get harder but amazing all at the same time. Yeah. Now this is where you and I live a life of submission in the kingdom of God. Kingdom's all about submission. So now you and I, we live as spirit-led followers of Jesus. We get to experience his presence, and his power now as citizens of his kingdom. We're called to continue this mission to announce and advance his kingdom here on earth until Jesus comes back. That's our our job. To bring the kingdom here and now as best as we can as kingdom-minded people until Jesus comes back. He is coming back, and he will fully restore his kingdom completely forever, and we long for that day. But for now, they call the kingdom the already-but-not-yet kingdom. Already, but not yet. That's what theologians will call it. So that's the kingdom gospel right there in the nutshell. So you can remember that in five words. God, it's creation. Man, rebellion. Jesus, redemption. Me, confession. Kingdom, submission. Those those five things, simply put. That's the kingdom gospel. It's you and I giving our life, devoting our life to following Jesus, walking in submission to him, and experiencing his power and his presence everywhere we go. Remember last week we talked about this covenantal promise that, that he gave us. I am with you. I am with you. We just sang it in that song a few moments ago. We declared that. Where God says, I am with you. I am with you. Or said, actually, we said, he is with you, right? He is with you. Let me speak that over you again. He is with you. He is with you. And then we said, he is for you about 500 times as well. Because it's true. <laughs> right? And that's okay. It's okay to declare truth over and over again, right? Sometimes we need that many times. To believe it, right? Come on, let's be real. <laughs> so they were committed or, or devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. If you've been around church, you've heard the Greek word for fellowship, and that word is koinonia. It's a fun word, koinonia. Can you spell it? <laughs> koinonia. Did you know, interestingly enough, that was the word that a kid was asked to spell And if he spelled it correctly, uh, this was in the 2018 Scripps National Spelling Bee. If he spelled it correctly, he won the national, and and he did. He spelled it correctly in 2018. He spelled koinonia correctly. And uh, let me show you a video just to prove that I'm not lying. Here it is right here. Can you please repeat the word? Koinonia, kinonia. Koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, koinonia. That is correct. What about that last word, Koinonia? When did you have that idea? This is it. <laughs> All right, it's a fun, quick little video right there. Koinonia—that's how you spell Koinonia. It means fellowship. So the the early church was devoted to Koinonia. They had relationship. They shared. The they, they shared a common belief in Jesus they shared their their things their stuff they shared life together it was about relationship that's what koinonia is the church is all about relationship ministry and discipleship is all about relationships this is very important to us this koinonia fellowship relationship now you may not know everybody in this church but you hopefully know some people in this church. Okay, We can't have a relationship with everyone, but everyone should have a relationship with someone. That's the goal, right? I, as much as I'd love to have a relationship with everybody, me and Amy, that, that would be our heart. We can't, just like you can't. And so it's important we don't really determine our commitment to a church based upon my relationship with the pastor. Man, if you're in on the mission of what we're doing here and you're just in love with Jesus, come on, let's just do this together and let's just make sure everybody has relationship in this place. That is the goal, connecting with each other and connecting each other, most importantly, to Jesus. So koinonia has deep meaning. It's deeper than just hanging out with friends. Way deeper. You study koinonia in the New Testament, this is what you'll find. 1 John 1 says koinonia is fellowship with God and with people. Philippians 2 speaks of fellowship or koinonia with the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, koinonia is contributing and giving to people. It's that sharing. 1 Corinthians 10, koinonia is referred to as communion. Philippians 1 (laughs) Koinonia is partnership with the gospel. Philippians 3, it is participating with Christ's sufferings. That's why maybe your translation says uh, sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. That is all koinonia. Koinonia speaks of intentionality. There's movement to it. It's deep relationship and commitment. There's action. In fact, you could say that there's no koinonia without action. No koinonia without it. They were committed to this. There was purpose behind this. And I pray that we would be committed, devoted to koinonia, not just, i got to make sure me and my friends get together and hang out and chill and party. No, there's purpose. There's supernatural purpose even to this, where God is moving in and through us, through our koinonia. It's powerful and profound. They were devoted to this. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, Jewish custom at the time was at the beginning of the meals, they would break bread. That signified the beginning. Like this, okay, meal has begun. Here we go. And so at the last supper, Jesus famously broke the bread, and he took it, and he says, okay, this bread now signifies my body, which I'm going to willingly lay down on the cross for you. And then this cup represents my blood, which is going to shed for the forgiveness of your sins and the sins of the world. And so added a deeper element to this this breaking of bread thing. Do I need to just change something up? Are we are we good? Okay, good. Just want to make sure because I heard ringing and all that kind of stuff. You guys hear me? Okay, okay, good. So Jesus made that moment significant when he said, "Hey, do this in remembrance of me." So when it talks about breaking of bread, it really can refer to both things. First, to eating food. And this communion element, it's, it's kind of a, a both and thing. It's getting together with God's people to eat and thank Jesus for what he has done for us. And this is a fun thing to do, isn't it? We just love to get together with people and eat food. Come on, let's be real. Yeah. To break bread. Come on. And, and I would encourage you to use this as a part of your missional lifestyle. You want to get to know some neighbors? that live across the street from you, invite them over for some breaking of the, of the barbecue or breaking of the spaghetti, whatever you wanna break, and hang out. It's amazing how when you just can get to know people and you sit down and you just eat with them. It's a tough season we're in because there's, we're still deep in the midst of COVID, so there's, it's kinda challenging to do. So like, hey, do you, wanna, do you wanna break bread over the Zoom together and just kinda watch each other eat? I don't know, you know, we can do that maybe. That's okay, God can use even that, I've learned. But I'd encourage you, it's that's, that's a good way to connect with people, to open doors relationally, and to see people come to Jesus. It's eating food with people, which is a fun thing to do. And then they're devoted to, lastly, prayer. Devoted to prayer. We're in the middle of a 21-day prayer and fast right now, which many of you are part of. We have, if you haven't joined us, feel free to start now. You can start your own 21-day Prayer and fasting, and we got a guide in the back. we got some material online. I think we emailed it out last week. But I just want to encourage you to be devoted to prayer in your life. And I'm praying and believing that you are going to experience breakthrough in this season as you are fasting and praying. And giving up some things to make sure that you are putting kingdom first in your life. The early church was devoted to prayer. Oh, by the way, we got two prayer meetings I'd love to just want to invite you to. we got a prayer meeting at 8.15 here on Sunday mornings, right here in this room. We prayed from 8.15 to 8.30. Now, you all are second service people, so you're free to come early, go to the prayer meeting, and go back home and have breakfast and come back for second service. Not a problem, but I want to extend the invitation, 8.15 to 8.30. We're praying right here. It's just a a public prayer time. We're also praying right in here on Tuesday nights, 7 o'clock. Would invite you to to be a part of that as well. Prayer's a big deal to us, and this year we're really leaning into prayer, more than ever. It's even why you are seen and experiencing, we're even doing more prayer when we come together as God's people. Yeah. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. So we should kind of expect, we're gonna pray when we get together here with, with the people of God. It's kinda like when you, when you go to McDonald's, you expect there's gonna be hamburgers, right? When you come here, you expect there's gonna be prayer. And so we're really leaning into that more than ever. We want to be a people and a church that is devoted to prayer. And I pray that you would be devoted in your life. Think about these first century Christians and their prayer life. Because they have for years, their entire life, they have prayed religiously. they prayed three times a day. They've done the Jewish customs of prayers because they wanted to be devoted to God. But now all of a sudden, for the first time in their life, they are experiencing the presence of God. For generations, Jews have prayed to God religiously, but only a few people actually heard the voice of God. Only a few people were anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now every single Jewish believer has God living inside of them. You better believe their prayer life was radically transformed. They're like, this pray thing is awesome now. I'm not just going through the motion like God is in me. I'm like experiencing God's presence. This would have been an amazing thing For them, no wonder they were devoted to prayer. And it's important we don't take this for granted because God lives inside of you. And every day you get to experience him. Communicate with him. Prayer is just communication with God, right? It's listening to him, not just talking to him. You can talk to him, pray, uh, but listen. Spend time in his presence and just be with God. Enjoy God. Enjoy his presence. And so the early church was devoted to those things and how did that work out for them? Pretty good. Their devotion caused God to move in their lives and through the church in that city. Let's look at what took place after that. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And let me just stop and celebrate the generosity of this church right here. This last Christmas, we received over $2,500 in the special Christmas offering. So a lot of you gave to that special Christmas offering. We were able to support a bunch of foster kids for that Christmas party. They were loved on, had a blast. I just got a letter from the missionary Uh, from Gary that does that ministry just last week and had these pictures and it's like, thank you so much for supporting us. It's just a cool thing. And we have money in benevolence where we can live out Acts chapter two right here in this very church. There's a whole bunch of money in our benevolence ministry now because you gave. And so I just wanted to pause and celebrate over $2,500 given. Isn't that awesome? Come on, amen. Thank you, Rivers Church. And what I love about that is now when people in our church come to me and they have maybe a crisis, they're struggling with some bills, I can say people in our church have given so we can help you right now. That's pretty cool. We don't give benevolence to people outside our church, just so you know. We we really focus in on our people, uh, mostly because we don't have a whole lot of money. And so people outside the church come in, and we get lots of calls for that because people think the church exists to give me money when I need it, right? So um, we'll say, well, we got a Taco Bell card for you. You want a Taco Bell? You know, we got a gas card for it. And so we do like to give those out and help people that way. But when it comes to like the bigger needs within our church community, I love that I just get to say people gave so I can say yes to you right now. And so thank you so much, guys. That's you and I just living out Acts chapter two right there. And you may never know exactly who you've blessed by giving to that, but you are a blessing to people and to families because of your generosity. So thank you for that. Verse 46, it says, Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Starting today, we are going to live out verse 45. We're going to have church every single day, and I expect you to be here in this room every single night, every day, for this year, 2021. You with me? on this. <laughs> You're like, "Well, wait a second. We don't take everything literal in here, right? right? But this is what they did. They met every day publicly. And then they also, if you keep reading, it says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I was just joking on the everyday thing, by the way, just in case you're wondering still. But I love just this this insight, this picture that we get to the first days of the church. Jesus is gone. They're like living out this now. Now what do we do? And they're like, the Spirit's leading, moving. They become devoted to four very important things. God continues to move. They just keep meeting together. They're eating together, hanging out, having fun. And God's favor is on them and they're enjoying that favor. And God adds to the church. And I pray we would see that take place in our church as well. But it all starts with this Are we willing to really be devoted? Because we like the idea of God moving and doing things, but. If it costs me something, if it's inconvenient, if it's uncomfortable, then I don't know. That's that's asking a lot, God. But If we really want to see God move in our life, in our families, in our city, then it's going to take you and I being devoted. What you devote to grows. I love what this pastor says. Pastor Adrian Rogers, he says, discipline says I need to, duty says I ought to, but devotion says I want to. Love that. Have you ever thought about why we call our daily time with the Lord devotions? Devotions speak to, I do this daily. It helps me grow so that I can really be devoted. That's my goal of devotions is to be devoted to God more and more and more and more. And I pray that your devotions create that. I pray that they're not just uh, you know, going through the motions that they're not just feeling like, this This doesn't really matter. I pray that they're fresh and new. And if they aren't, just change up what you're doing with your devotions. Uh, devotions can be anything, by the way. Just setting aside a time to be with God, enjoy his presence, maybe turn on some worship music, just begin to worship. Open up scripture, just begin to read. You don't have to read a lot. You could read a lot. You could read through an entire book and then say, God, speak to me. What are you teaching me? You could read one sentence and meditate on that and just sit there and just meditate on that and just think about it and pray through it and then just pray and listen to God. I mean, you can do whatever you want in devotions. The goal is that you just grow, learn, enjoy God's presence, let him speak to you and just move you forward and and really help you, empower you to live that day fully devoted for him. That's the goal. Devotions are hopefully helping us to, to be devoted people. So what are you devoted to? Because what you're devoted to, it grows. So historians of the early church estimate that by the end of that first century, at the year 100, there was about 25,000 Christians around the region of that place. With all the church plants from Paul and other people, as the gospel continued to spread around the Roman Empire, essentially. 25,000 Christians. But something significant happened over the next two centuries And it multiplied to 20 million Christians by the year 310. It went from 25,000 and in two centuries, 20 million. And this is before, by the way, Constantine made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. So, this is all while it is illegal to be a Christian. They're getting persecuted killed, burned to death, thrown in these colosseums as part of Roman sport to get eaten by lions and animals. They were having church in catacombs underground. It was an illegal, persecuted religion, yet it grew grew by the millions because they were still living these things out. Isn't that amazing to think about? This tiny movement of Christianity started with the leaven and became the most significant religious force in the Roman Empire in just two centuries. So much so that it eventually became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And that was good because it helped the gospel go worldwide, but it was bad because then it became institutionalized. We've got to be careful we don't become too institutionalized as a church. It's similar to what happened in China back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I don't know if you've heard the story of the underground church in China, but it's, it's fascinating. So back in early 50s, Mao Zedong began to purge, uh, to purge China of all Christians. He sent out all the missionaries, kicked them out, all the ministers, they were all kicked out. So he took over all the church property. He began a systematic persecution of the Christians. And what he did is he killed almost all of the senior leadership. And then he either killed or imprisoned the second and third level Leadership within the. He banned all public church meetings and he threatened Christians with death or torture if they were caught meeting together. It was widespread torture that is considered to be one of the the cruelest persecutions in Christian history. So Mao Zedong's goal was basically just to obliterate, obliterate Christianity and all religion out of his country. So he was doing this for 30 years. On the outside, we're we're just praying, God, hopefully you're doing a work in there. But for 30 years, we had no idea what was going on with the church in China. And then 30 years later, in the early 80s, the bamboo curtain was lifted. Missionaries and Christians were allowed to finally come back in. And they expected to find this small remnant of churches, Just maybe a few broken churches, a few followers of Jesus after 30 years. Because after all, we haven't been there helping them out, right? In the early 50s, there was an estimated 2 million Christians. And so when everything closed, when the bamboo curtain closed, 2 million Christians were left in China. When it opened in the early 1980s, they found more than 60 million Christians. And what took place in three decades was a move of the Spirit as Christians made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. In the midst of intense persecution, losing their lives, their loved ones losing lives, the church continued to grow underground by the millions. It's considered to be one of the most significant Christian movements in the history of the church. The latest research says that the church of China is now doubled. It's about 120 million. You know, you think about the first few centuries of the church. You think about the underground church in China. They have two things in common. Uh, many things in common, actually, but two things really stand out. They were single, and they all faced intense persecution. Persecution like we have never experienced here in this country. They had all these other similarities where they were just living out the book of Acts, sharing their faith, discipling people, discipling people, knowing they could lose their life by just committing to faith in Jesus. Yet the church grew exponentially by the millions. Can I just say, church, Christianity does not have to be illegal for the church to grow. It's amazing how God really breathes on that. It's amazing how the church does grow in persecution. It's partly why I'm saying, hey, if we're going to get more persecuted here in our country, bring it on. Because I'm I'm excited the church will grow then. Because I care more about the kingdom of God than anything else. Because in the end, all nations will go away and one kingdom will stand. is the kingdom of God. And I pray that you and I will be passionate about his kingdom first above everything else. And that we would be people who would say, I want to be devoted. Devoted like those Christians in the first century church. I want to be devoted like those Christians in in China. I, I pray that we would see a movement in our city that impacts people all around. But if we're honest, it may require a little bit more devotion than what we already have for some of us. If we really want to see it because how we've been doing church hasn't brought about renewal and revival in our city like we long to see. So maybe we need to change a little bit how we're living and how we're doing church. Maybe put more accurately how we are being the church because it's you and I just living this thing out. Life on life, reaching people, Disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus. This is why we really want to lean into these Go groups here. Man, this could be the beginning of, of seeing hundreds, thousands of people come into faith in Jesus, but it just starts with one simple, small decision on you and I's part. Just I'm just going to start here and do this with them, and then God help us from there. But it just starts with one decision, one step. A lack of devotion. Is not gonna bring about the renewal and revival we long to see. Business as usual is not gonna bring about the renewal and revival we long to see. In fact, I want no part of business as usual in the church. This is why we're leaning more into prayer in this season, guys. Prayer, devoted to prayer. You and I just accumulating knowledge about scripture is not gonna bring about revival. We gotta put it into practice, we gotta live this thing out. And some of us need to allow God to interrupt our cruise control, to interrupt our autopilot, if we want to call it that, and cause us to become more kingdom-minded, kingdom-first, and really be devoted. And I'm praying that you and I would hit our knees in devotion and cry out to God. God, move in my heart, move in my life, move in my home and my family. Do something new. Jesus, I'm willing, I'm ready, here I am. I don't even know what this all means, but I'm going to put you first. I'm going to go after you first above everything else. Would you stand to your feet, guys, we're going to pray. We're going to worship. If you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus and committed to following Him, I would encourage you to do that today. I shared the gospel and all that Jesus did for you. Maybe today's the day for you to say yes. Maybe you're online, you're hanging out with us, you've joined us online and you're just listening right now and you know God's speaking to you. It's your time to say yes to Jesus. I would just encourage you, I would encourage you to make that decision today and devote your life to Jesus. Ask for forgiveness in these next few moments. Pray, pray to him. Let him begin a new work in your life and then let us know, please let us know so we can help you move forward in that. We're going to go into a time of prayer and worship. If you need prayer for anything, we got people that will be down here in the front that would love to pray with you. Maybe you want to pray with them about devoting your life to Jesus and following him. And feel free to come on down. They'd love to pray with you about that and help you with that. Whatever it is, maybe you're facing some things in your life and you just need some prayer. You need some encouragement. You'd love to stand with you. Feel free, anytime during the song, as we're singing, we're worshiping, feel free to come on down to the front. These people would love to pray with you. Would you join me in prayer right now, Lord? We come to you, and we give you these last few moments together. And God, my prayer is that we would grow in an awe of who you are. As the early church was devoted to you, to the teaching, to the koinonia, breaking of bread and prayer, this awe grew on them and they saw you perform mighty miraculous things God I pray that an awe of who you are Lord let it even come from hearing about what you have done the movement that you've done in China and that you've done throughout the whole world God you're moving across the globe Lord let it happen here as well Lord so this awe Lord I pray that you increase this awe as we're reminded of who you are and what you've done so that we can believe for what you want to do here and now with that spark faith for here and now. Right now, here, Jesus. Lord, we know you're moving in greater ways outside of our country, around the world. We know that Christianity is on the decline in our nation, but on the, around the world, it is moving fast and rapidly. So God, our prayer is help us to stand up, help us to rise up, God, our prayer is, why not us? Why not here? Why not now? We devote ourselves to you, God, and ask you to move in our hearts and in this church, Lord. Holy Spirit, right now, we give you permission to move. Tear down walls, God, that we've put up. Tear down these walls. Would you break out? Would you break through in our life? Would you break through in our homes? Would you break through in this place right now? I pray in Jesus' name.